Hello and welcome to the show that, for the first time this season, actually feels on top of everything. On today's show, we look back on all the first legs of the playoffs and the first winners. Well done, Shrewsbury. Sam Parkins here, and so is Matt Stanger, and we've got five straight days of second legs to look forward to. There's none of the usual stuff. No fan league, no roundups, no anthemic music. Just straight up now, baby, is it going to be you and me together playoff chat? It's time for the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Bit of uh, Paula Abdul there, just for anyone who says I can't keep it with the kids <laughs> or something. <laughs> Matt Stanger, how are you? Very good, thanks. Excellent stuff. Very much enjoyed spending the weekend in your football bunker. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? We ate a lot of crisps, watched a lot of football. Uh, what could be better? All of that with more crisps, I think. Just about, if there is such a thing. Uh, Sam Parkin. Ian, how you doing? You were not in an underground bunker watching football and eating crisps. No, I've been to a game uh, Friday. I went to Derby Fulham. And like you, I've got a sore neck uh, this morning. <laughs> I don't know if it's from sleeping peculiarly or maybe I took my little gentle game of tennis on a Sunday morning too seriously with my girlfriend. <laughs> I was free love behind in the first though. Did did you did you maintain it? Did you get back into the game? I got angry Great and personal uh, cost. I got angry and the quality came out in the end. <laughs> <laughs> it never goes. It never goes. Uh, let's get straight on. Um, one of the playoff ties is over, Matt. Um, Paul Hurst. He was brought in to ensure that Shrewsbury stayed in League One. Well, he's failed because they're one game away from the Championship. Oh, nice. I like yeah, the way you did that. Yeah. See. See. Yeah, I thought they were excellent over the two legs. Um seen a lot of people saying that, that Charlton were unfortunate in that, that second leg yesterday with uh, Carlton Morris perhaps uh, elbowing uh, Charlton defender in the, in the first uh, opening period and then also Charlton had a strong penalty shout as well. But I think Lee Bowie is pretty magnanimous at the end of it. He said Shrewsbury have uh, played like they've played all season. They've, uh, they were time-wasting. They were looking to break on the counter-attack. <laughs> that doesn't sound hugely magnanimous. Um they no, time waste. No, he, he said obviously they deserve to go through because they finished their chances, whereas Charlton didn't. But I think this Charlton side, they've gone through a lot of upheaval, obviously, this season. There's been a lot going on behind the scenes. And uh, I think they don't really have a set style yet. And Bowie obviously trusted in players' ability to, to create chances and, and open truth up, and it just didn't happen for them. Sam, if you'd only watched the first 25 minutes of the first leg, you'd be absolutely baffled at how Charlton haven't won this because they had three, four good opportunities to score. Yeah, they did well in that, that opening period. Um, I couldn't really win. I've got good friends on, on both sides, so um, it was difficult. But I think felt Lee Bowie, um, I agree totally with what Matt just said there, by the way. I think it just came a little bit too soon for Charlton, just still trying to work out. And obviously, we're going to have to wait and see what happens in the summer. But I felt Lee Bowie maybe said a few things that he may regret. I've been guilty in the past, <laughs> in between playoff games, of may, things maybe taken out of context. But I understand what he meant. I think they've got good individual players, Charlton, especially in offensive areas, and maybe didn't come to the party like they should have done in the last couple of games. But... Shrewsbury, as a team, I mean, to say that Charlton are a better team, you only have to look at the league table. And I've seen them quite a lot live this year. I mean, across all the levels, I don't think there's a better collective group of players that work their absolute socks off for the managers. They're so organised. And you probably could have predicted these two games before they actually played out they've been that good how many one nils have they had this season and they know their jobs to a t well th this is key isn't it matt because shrewsbury hadn't actually kept a clean sheet in five games before the playoffs started 
and they got past Cheltenham without conceding a goal. So they were right back to the virtues that got them there in the first place. Yeah, and Paul Hurst said afterwards that's three wins out of four against Charlton this season. So obviously he feels like they do deserve to, to go through to Wembley. Uh, and I, I think like Sam says, it's the way that the team just work for each other. And you, and you see it in that front four. Obviously John Nolan scored a brilliant goal in the first leg and then Morris with, uh, with the winner on, on Sunday. And everyone's chipped in with the goals this season because Stefan Payne started the season in brilliant form. He has 13 strikes, top scorer, but he's obviously dropped out for Morris in the second half of the campaign. Worley with 12 goals, Morris with 10, uh, Nolan with 9 and Rodman with 9. So they really shared a workload and, and they were a threat against Charlton from, from all different areas of the pitch. And of course, it's another trip to Wembley for Shrewsbury. Um, didn't fare so well last time. In fact, I believe we dedicated rather more of the show than we should have done um, to... You know, trying to figure out why they went cold. Do you think they'll learn from that? You'd have to think so. Better for that experience. I think they've lost four out of the four times they've been to, to Wembley. I think I'm right in saying that. So, yeah, they need to kind of arrest that real poor form that they've had at the National Stadium. But I've just been so impressed with them. And I think it's a, a wonderful story that's been in the leagues. And like I said, I just... The structure that Paul Hurst gives that side, it gets carried out to an absolute T. And um, again, immense. My Matt Sadler again yesterday, superb at the heart of that defence. And I think with his experience and, and the two wide guys, Rodman and Worley, around them, just youthfulness, legs, just energy. And I think that's been really experienced, a young side that can just cover every blade of grass. And you imagine a lot of Norwich fans will be watching this and feeling pretty encouraged by Ben Godfrey's performances as well because he was brilliant again in the second leg uh, as Charlton had that spell in the first half particularly where they had quite a bit of possession. And uh, and Carlton Morris, obviously, an, an, uh, another Lor- a Norwich loanee that's been at Shrewsbury this season. And uh, I think Ben Godfrey in particular is probably the sort of player that the Canaries need next season. Turning our attention uh, briefly to Chelton, uh, there was one positive here, I thought, from the first game. The atmosphere at the Valley was brilliant. You know, that was one night where they could kind of put all of the problems around the club to one side and just get behind their team. Um, what do they need over the summer to kick on? There's obvious talent in that squad. There is. Oh, the first thing is the managerial situation. I'd love to see Lee Bowie get it alongside Johnny Jackson. Of course, I think he's shown tail end of the season that it's galvanised the supporters. There's a real feel-good about the place for once. You know, and How long have we waited to say that? So... I think it'd be a really good thing for the club if he was appointed, but I suppose we're just going to have to wait and see with the new owners. But yeah, I think, like I said, attacking-wise, very, very good. I think they'd still need to add a goal scorer uh, to that team. I think the top scorer, McGuinness, is just into double figures, so that's something that they need to look at. But they've got a lot of young, talented boys that they're going to have to do well to keep hold of, the likes of Konza, Aribo, really good players there. All right, well, just one more game for Shrewsbury now. See if they can pull off what will be well, the story of the Football League season, I think. Who will they be up against? Uh, Matt, it will be either Scunthorpe or Rotherham. They drew 2 all, um, easily the best game so far of the playoffs, I thought. It was, wasn't it? I think uh, absolute cracking match. Two teams that are fairly evenly matched. And we spoke before about Scunthorpe's home form and had a stronger away and... Uh, that looked like it was going to tell because Rotherham obviously took the lead twice in the game. and uh, But that might set it up nicely for the second leg on Wednesday when uh, Scunthorpe obviously go to Rotherham and uh, pretty pretty evenly matched, like we say. Um, I thought Rotherham were really good at putting pressure on that Scunthorpe defence, especially in the first half. And the opening 20 minutes was just fantastic, wasn't it? Two goals and the way Scunthorpe hit back immediately with that fantastic bit of skill from Adelican on the right and uh, Paul Michael Ihequa 
bundling the ball into his own net and then obviously sort of responsible for the equaliser right to death as well when he uh, kind of ended up kicking his own goalkeeper for, for Cameron McGinn to score. Speaking of goalkeepers, Sam, um, I think the the strangest thing we saw in that game was Scunthorpe keeper Matt Gilks throwing the ball so hard he turned himself inside out and had to be carried off. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh God! He's getting on a bit now, isn't he? You you do see those uh, experienced goalkeepers sometimes just do a, an action that they've done thousands of times and pop their calf at that stage of their career or whatever. But um, that is going to be a massive blow. I was going to say Rory Watson. I think he's only played four times, so I mean, mostly that, in the checker trade as well. That's um, a real problem for them. So I think the selection issues for for both managers. You touched on the centre half, who I'm really pleased that Matt pronounced before I had a go. Uh, he might have to come out given that he was at fault for a couple of the goals. And I also think Rotherham may go with an extra striker alongside Smith, who I'm really pleased for, by the way, because he, he always divides opinion, uh, especially at my old club, Swindon Town. But I thought he was excellent, uh, Smith leading the line for Rotherham. But just at home with a 2-2 now needing to le- uh, win the game, he may uh, stick someone alongside him. Uh, one of the most impressive players on the park, I thought, was Josh Emmanuel, Matt. Um, he's the uh, right-back for Rotherham on loan from Ipswich Town. I didn't realise he'd actually played so much for Ipswich last season as well. I thought he was, because he's quite young. Uh, but he was really impressive, wasn't he? He was incredibly solid, isn't he? You wouldn't really want to go into a 50-50 with him. Uh, quite an imposing figure. And the way he uh, handled himself defensively was excellent against Josh Morris, who I uh, thought was pretty quiet, really, on the, on the left of Scunthorpe. Uh, but the way he got forward as well, it, obviously he put the ball in for Joel Newell to come off the bench and score with his first touch to, to give Rotherham the lead again. And, uh, yeah, he was up and down the flank all afternoon. And uh, on the other side, Scunthorpe, uh, Adelikun was uh, absolutely brilliant, particularly in the in the first half and the early stages of the second half. He's a player who's been linked with bigger clubs but he did have his run-ins with Graham Alexander earlier this season. Yeah, we spoke about him earlier in the campaign, uh, obviously when we covered Scunthorpe in depth and other occasions as well, a player who came through Crystal Palace and West Ham's youth setups. and when you see him play like he did on Saturday against Rotherham especially in that, that spell in the first half when it was end-to-end frantic stuff, you just wonder how he isn't really playing at a higher level because he clearly has so much ability but I think Graham Alexander has obviously uh, questioned his attitude and his application before and uh, clearly has a a lot of work to do on that. Sam, it's so tight, 2 all. Um, real full-blooded game in the first leg. We hope for the same in the second leg. If one of those teams doesn't go through, who are the players who can get poached over the summer? I think there's a number for, for both sides. I know that Joe Newell didn't start the game for, for Rotherham, but best goal-scoring season for him, eight, and he's been really impressive every time I've, I've seen him. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do in the second leg with regard to that, because I know both the wide players scored. And uh, Matt's already touched on some of the attacking players that Scunthorpe have got, and I think that's going to be the difference, really. If they can produce a little bit of better form uh, in the next leg, then they could arguably score a couple away from home. So you're looking at Holmes, Dwayne Holmes, who I saw last year play as a number 10. I know he's not been playing that position regularly this year, but back in the middle at the moment and uh, looks like a really talented boy. I think he was from Huddersfield's academy. And also Morris has done it you know, consistently now for Scunthorpe. He's been their main... Um, architect of goals and assists as well so he potentially would be one that could maybe go top of League One or Championship maybe Alright, no Joe Crilly from William Hill today but uh, replacing him Social Paul, hello Social Paul Hello, ah, good to be here Welcome back, welcome back Tell us about the odds for the playoffs Obviously odds on Charlton um, really very long now because they're out 
That is indeed. Still, um, Shrewsbury as the favourites. They're uh, 10 to 11 on. Um, the next favourite for promotion is Rotherham at 7 to 4, and then Scunthorpe at 7 to 2. Lovely stuff. When we come back after the break, to the Championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out williamhill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag your odds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Right, Friday night, Derby against Fulham. Uh, Nick Miller in The Guardian reminding us in his match report, the team who finishes seventh, uh, sixth in the championship sorry, haven't gone up since 2010. Is that about to change though? Matt Stanger because Derby are 1-0 up against Fulham and they were excellent in that first half as mm. well we, we spoke obviously after they thrashed Barnes on the, the final day and discussed how they looked like they were in, enjoying the football again after a terrible terrible run that saw them drop out the automatic spaces and it was the same sort of atmosphere on uh, on Friday night and uh, I think the way that they've reverted to that counter-attacking football that served them so well this season with uh, Vidra Jerome in great form and Lawrence as the front three they, they look a real threat and Fulham will be worried Sam, you were there, weren't you? Yeah, and um, I was really impressed with how Gary Rowett set up. I know they rode their luck a little bit in the second half. I mean, that's going to happen against Fulham, who have got such technically good passing players. But I felt to soak up a lot of that pressure and break with the intensity and the power that they seem to have at the moment. I think it, it worked particularly well. And if they had a bit more quality in their final ball, they really could have stung Fulham late on and it could have been a, a bigger hurdle to overcome tonight for for Fulham but um, it's beautifully poised and um, as I always say with Fulham I've been saying it constantly in the last two weeks they get that first goal it's a completely different game you know it'll open up and we could be in store for a real playoff classic tonight but if they don't that Derby will just be backs to the wall and just try and get through defending maybe scoring on the counter Yeah I I think what was key here was how anonymous Fulham's key players were, Matt. Uh, Mitrovic was very well shackled by Curtis Davis, who I thought was outstanding. And we didn't see much of young Sessegnon. Yeah, Sessegnon obviously substituted before the end. And uh, that's one goal in his last 12 appearances now after 10 in 13. So it's perhaps a little bit of exhaustion. He doesn't turn 18 until Friday this week. And uh, he's only second full season as professional. So you imagine a bit of fatigue might be setting in and... He doesn't strike me as the sort of player that would get distracted by talk of a World Cup call-up or all of the, the awards he's won. I think it's just a really uh, difficult, arduous campaign and, and there's a lot of pressure on him, obviously, to deliver. But I, I wonder if Jukanovic might change it up a bit for uh, for tonight. He might move Sessegnon back to left-back. I was discussing this with Sam and that might give him a, a bit more space down the line to, to attack into. And, and Matt Target... I think has struggled perhaps in the last couple of games as well. Yeah, well, Matt Target beaten like an egg by Cameron Jerome, wasn't he? He was, yeah. I mean, Cameron Jerome, though, it's, it's not really... Uh, it's a bit of a mismatch, isn't it? That Cameron Jerome against Matt Target at the back post. But again, there was a couple of goals against Birmingham that came from the areas where you would expect Matt Target to be defending as well. Uh, I'm not sure if he was ill in that first half because he was taken off uh, at half-time against Birmingham. But you definitely see that side of the pitch and you think Jukanovic might make a change. He took Fredericks off as well at, at Birmingham in, in the, the defeat there. And Fredericks and Aite didn't really link up against Derby as, as you, you would expect him to. Sam, wasn't all bad for Fulham, was it? I mean, uh, McDonald hit the bar late on, the masses of late pressure. They, they can still do this, right? Of course, and the Aite chance was probably the best chance in the game, which he, he volleyed over. So they probably deserved a, a goal for their efforts in the second half. And um, no, I completely uh, agree with Matt, really. I think you just need to get 
players closer to Mitrovic. He's not going to make wholesale changes. He's not going to change the way they play. They're not going to go four four two. But there'll be little things that he can change, little minute details in their performance. And a lot of that is getting those wingers into the game. They were completely anonymous. And sometimes it's just maybe sacrificing yourself for the team. It's a lot to ask of a young lad, Sessignon, but coming in field, just stretching the game a little bit, getting closer to Mitrovic, which he does really well, but just being an extra presence in the box because one cross I think Mitrovic had to attack, 89th minute. And uh, I think some of that was down to the lack of play in the wide areas, fullbacks and those wingers. All right, well, Gary Rowett's taking nothing for granted at all. said, we can't go down there and try to protect the lead. Lead, We've got to try to win the game. Um, it's a slender lead. As we know, that can be cancelled out in a second. I didn't let them have the music on in the dressing room because we've got to be focused for the next game. Uh, two managers who would be equally uh, cautious about such a lead, Tony Pulis and Steve Bruce, who's seen it all before, they went head-to-head on Saturday Um we all expected this to be very tight, but Sam, Villa were brilliant, weren't they? Absolutely dominant, I thought. They were. I think no surprise probably that it came from a, a set piece because um, yeah, I think they got good physicality, Villa. But no, I thought they were, they were very good. Alan Hutton did a sterling job on um, Triore. And obviously Jack Grealish was probably the shining light as well, carrying the ball such a graceful mover with a football. I mean, he's he's really adding different elements to his game this season. I thought he was he was very impressive. But again, like the Shrewsbury-Charlton game, um, my money probably would have gone on one goal either way in both the legs. So I'd imagine the second one will be very much the same, tight and probably decided by one of the attacking players. Uh, Matt, it's sort of testament to the improvement in Adama Traore that Steve Bruce had such a a clear game plan, put Alan Hutton on him, and if that doesn't work, put Alan Hutton plus two others on him. Um, but Traore was still clattering away all the way to the end. He, he never gave up, did he? No, he was definitely Borough's best chance of, uh, of finding an equaliser in that game. But Bruce did have his game plan for him, and he said afterwards, actually, that Hutton is out of contract in the summer and deserves a new one just on the back of that one performance against Traore, uh, which is something. And uh, it was a similar game in, in many ways to uh, to Derby Fulham with the fact that Fulham uh, Derby managed to keep Sessignon quiet Fulham's key man and uh, Villa managed to uh, shackle Traore like Sam says and I think probably the big problem was that George Friend didn't really get forward that much to support Traore and they need to double up and overload on the flanks. It was the same with Downing on the right as well and when um, Fabio came on to replace the injured Ayala, who uh, that's a big blow mm. for Tony Pulis if he's, he's going to be missing from the second leg, I think Fabio got forward a lot more and suddenly Borough looked like they could get around Villa but uh, yeah I think it's going to be, be difficult for them at Villa Park. Sam, we spoke about Jack Grealish there briefly. I mean, he, he was fantastic. It was his corner that Mila Jednak put in. Do you think a year with John Terry, because Steve Bruce was talking about this, John Terry and Glenn Whelan, a year with John Terry has done him a lot of good, given him some focus? Because you came through the Chelsea ranks with Terry, didn't you? Quite possibly, yeah. And for everything that's written and said about John, you know, within the, the dressing room, well, top quality, you know, with the young players. And uh, it always has been, you know, the first person to go and support the youth teams at all the clubs that he's been at. And I think brilliantly, brilliant defensively this year, Aston Villa. But it can't, it can't have not had a positive impact on Jack Grealish. They will be talking to him every day, you know, on the training ground. And John, I'm sure, pulling on his experience of playing with other midfield players, top quality midfielders, and telling Jack Grealish what he can add to his game to get to that level. And he's improved vastly this year. I mean, he's he's running games at times. And some of the little uh, Twitter vines from the weekend, like some of his little runs and bits of skill, are completely majestic. So. 
probably a bit too soon for him this World Cup, but we're probably talking about a future England player here now. Absolutely. Great quote from Bruce after the game, actually, where he said, uh, by the time he was 21, he'd have five different managers all telling him different shit, basically. <laughs> it's important he had a bit of stability, a bit of focus, and we can see what he can achieve. Yeah, he's uh, he's absolutely transformed this season. And it has turned out to be a very good move for John Terry because there are a few doubts about whether or not he was, you know, going away for a, a little pension top-up. But I think he's been excellent. However, it's not all good news for Villa because El Mohamedy's injured and may miss the second leg. Promotion specialist El Mohamedy. I said this, I think, on a previous show. Uh, the Fulham game it was, and um, he went off at half-time, El Mohamedy, and he shackled uh, Sessegnon in the first half. And in the second period, they completely lost their way. So I never thought I'd be saying this too regularly. El Mohamedy's been huge, I think, at times for Villa this year. But collectively, the back four, I think they're they're right up there, you know, across all the levels as uh, one of the best defensive outfits. So it'll be difficult for Middlesbrough. Uh, Tony Pulis, he did put a brave face on it. He said, you know, we'll get down there. It's going to be a full house, but we're still in it. We've still got a chance. But let's be honest, it could have been worse, couldn't it? Because it was a big save from uh, Darren Randolph to to deny Snodgrass. Uh, He's wonderful, uh, Snodgrass, at that cutting in field. He can actually reverse it as well. I watched it again this morning and it almost looks like he's telegraphed where he's going, but Snodgrass is equally adept at whipping it into the near post. So the goalkeeper probably can't afford to gamble, but it's a wonderful fingertip save from Randolph. And uh, Snodgrass, not only in open play, but his delivery, he puts such whip on the ball. You can see almost his body is follow through, the pace that he puts on it. And that's why why they're going to be a major threat uh, from set pieces in the, uh, the second leg. All right. Well, only a goal in it. Still everything to play for. Social pull playing the part of Joe Crilly from William Hill. What are the odds for these four to get promoted? Um, well, Villa are the favourites at the moment, 11-8. Uh, to 8. Fulham, still after that defeat, are still second favourites, 21-10, to 10, um, followed by Derby, 11-4, uh, to 4, and then Middlesbrough, 15-2. to 15-2. to two. All right, when we come back after the break, to League Two. Matt, everyone else in the country seemed to be watching the conference playoff that had red cards and goals and things thrown and all sorts going off. You and I were opening up another bag of kettle chips and settling into Lincoln Exeter. We did not make the right choice, did we? Uh, definitely not. It was pretty awful game, to be honest. And uh, I think Paul Tisdale will be pleased to take a draw back to... Exeter for the, for the second leg but there weren't loads of chances Matt Reed was obviously a handful as he always is really difficult player to play against and uh, bullied the Exeter defence at times and hit the bar obviously with a header which was probably the, the closest that anyone came to scoring and Jaden Stockley though had a, had a good opportunity for Exeter a uh, good ball by Boateng and he, he probably should have connected with that but I think uh, it's yeah it's nicely balanced for the second leg um, Matt Reed, Sam Parkin, uh, not so much shit housery as shit streetery. <laughs> there was so much malice in his game on Saturday. Yeah, there is a bit of that. He he does his best to put the goalkeepers off and uh, often stand in an offside position, all that kind of palaver. But he's a much better player than people give him credit for. I'll tell you what, it's a it's a difficult job when balls are thrashed up to you and you've got to get your body in the right position, take it in, and like Akin Fenwa a little bit. I didn't realise, you know how difficult it was to deal with him towards the end of my career because if you get good quality into those types of players you just can't get round them so he's, he's a decent little technician uh, not little <laughs> but he's a decent big technician I Matt haven't Reed. seen the numbers but he must have won every aerial challenge he was in I didn't see him 
come out second best. And that chance that Matt just referred to, I think it's uh, Jordan Story, is it? That's actually falling, and he's got a big chunk of Matt Reed's <laughs> shirt, and it's like a an under eight player trying to you know stay. Uh, in, in a duel with a with a seasoned professional, and Matt Reed still cannons his header off the bar. But um, it looked like Exeter rode their luck a little bit. I mean, they Christy Pym was the busier goalkeeper, but um, like Matt said, I think um, Stockley at the other end means that Exeter still can go direct at times. And Paul Tisdale's a he's a wily manager like that. I think the misconception that it's all pass, pass, pass. It's all nice with Exeter, good young players, but. They have steel when they when they need to, and um, I think he's a good outlet for him, Stockley. Well, I guess people will make the natural assumption that Exeter drew the away leg, so they'll probably win the home leg. Danny Cowley's not having that. Uh, he says, well, everyone will be expecting Exeter to go through on the back of this result, but you'll have to kill us to beat us, which is a little bit dramatic. Um, they will feel it's a job well done, and they'll expect to win the tie back at their place, but we're pretty determined and we fight really hard. He's, he's got that kind of... He, He's one of those managers who you feel, if you're a supporter of his club, you are absolutely wrapped up in it. He's got you, he's got the club, he's got the players, he's got. He's saying all the right things, isn't he? 100%. I know you weren't allowed to use momentum last week, wasn't it? But um, <laughs> they've got it, haven't they, in abundance, Lincoln. I think him signing the contract, the timing of it, um, the attendances must be up this year. The great oh, support yeah. they get there with the siren and everything else that goes with it. So I feel that that squad will be in a really good place at the moment. Having had the season, having had the checker trade victory, everyone wanting to be in that side uh, if they can get through this semi-final. So it's too difficult to call for me. I really would not want to tell you where my money's going. I think it's um, probably going to be a goal either way. What do you make of that siren? Um, For those who haven't heard it, every time um, Lincoln get a corner... Out comes a World War Two air raid siren, and it starts before the set piece takes place. But it's still going even as the ball's cleared or, or goes behind. I think it's bizarre, but if I was defending set pieces there, I don't think I'd enjoy it. No, I don't think I'd enjoy it because there's one thing picking up a man mounting, but when you've got the crowd as well generating that noise, it can have a little bit of an effect. So I think they use it to their advantage, and they're very difficult to play at Sinsel Bank. Might be difficult, uh, different at Exeter, slightly more. Well, tranquil surroundings, maybe. They've only got three sides at the moment, for one. But um, it'll be a different type of game and you'd expect extra more of the ball. I just thought, you know, if, if you're allowed to play an air raid siren for your set pieces, <laughs> like, couldn't you play something for theirs, like Benny Hill music or at something? Exeter, you've got Steve Perryman, who's barking instructions from the stand <laughs> anyway, playing every pass. So uh, that'll do the, the job for them. There's a lot of potential there. Um, whoever does come through that will be up against either Coventry or Notts County. Matt... I'm kind of amazed this game went ahead. As soon as it started, we were just looking at the ball hitting puddles and stopping dead and going, well, this isn't even going to make half time. Yeah, it was about three feet of water on the pitch and it really looked like it'd probably be called off in the first 10 minutes. But that sort of led to quite an entertaining game, really, and obviously played a big part in Notts County taking the lead because uh, Danny Jones, the left-back, sliding about 30 yards across the pitch to win the ball and then playing that great crossing for Fort to to put Notts County ahead. Yeah, if, if you didn't see this one on TV, um, if you remember the TV programme Gentle Ben and, and those weird like rafts with the massive fans on the back, like one of them on left wing would have been really handy. That's Gentle Ben and Paula Abdul. <laughs> I am down with it. Uh, first goal, uh, Jonathan Fort. Um, it, was, it was a kind of Zola-esque finish, wasn't it? Daniel Jones wins the ball in 
about four foot of water, gets the ball in and then fought with that little back heel on the turn. Yeah, a day for defenders, wasn't it? Sliding in from distance and thankfully uh, Dan Jones took the ball on that occasion and um, great little finish from four. And I know he'd missed a couple earlier on in the game and he seems to have been around forever. I know he had a really good goal-scoring spell at Oldham, but he's had so many clubs, Jonathan Fort. But he's always, I think he's always an outlet and he always gets chances. And it was a yeah, beautiful finish, really well taken. Got in the team ahead of Amiobi mm. as well, um, which uh, I was a little surprised. I thought in a position like that, Nolan would go for all the experience, but yeah, vindicated. May, maybe a bit more movement. Um, someone who could probably stretch the game a little bit more than just being a target that you're going to get from Amiobi and, and Stead. But yeah, they still go back to front at times. Notts County, as you'd expect, and Coventry played a little bit more football through the thirds. Actually, it impressed me at times. Some good technical footballers, um, but it'll be different. Uh, in the second leg, you know, it will probably be a lot of pressure and uh, a lot of set pieces raining on that Coventry goal. Notts County fans listening to this are going, get to the penalty, get to the bloody penalty. Matt, um, I think the manager's quote um, kind of summed this up. Mark Robbins said, uh, I've seen the penalty back and in fairness, if it had been given against me, I'd have felt disappointed, which is football code for never in a million years. Uh, Kevin Nolan, it was a massive mistake. The lad who jumped up was laughing. I feel sick. Nolan also said, I feel bad for our lads and for all of Nottingham. <laughs> I'm sure sure one half is probably all right about it. On yeah, balance. one half probably doesn't care too much. Uh, but we shouldn't laugh. It was never a penalty, was it? No, you could tell it wasn't a penalty from how sheepish Tom Bayliss was about it. <laughs> he was just trying to look anywhere, but in Matt Tootle's direction, and Tootle was screaming at him, I won the ball, I won the ball. I think he did play for it a little bit, though, didn't he? Initially, he went down with the, the arms kind of flung out. Who wouldn't want to slide on that pitch, though, with uh, all the water? Maybe, yeah. If a, if a penalty or something like that happens against you in a match of that importance, I mean, that must blow your composure completely. 100%. And I think you saw, is it Duffy's reaction? I think he got yellow carded, yeah. carded straight after. That would have been my reaction. Yeah, You wouldn't be able to comprehend what you've just seen. Just the way that the, the ball went. I think he, he maybe caught the ball and the player slightly at the same time, but it's a terrible, terrible decision given the magnitude of the game and... Yeah, you had to feel sorry for for Notts County just because it was really soft. Credit like Coventry weren't really going anywhere in that match as well, and it was unlikely they were going to get an equaliser. And and they'd been favourites before the game as well. Notts County came did a really good job in awful conditions, and to 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 lose the the lead like that towards the end is just sickening. Credit where it's due though, that was a hell of a penalty by Mark McNulty. All of that pressure on him and never in doubt. And he hit the post earlier on in the game. He's been brilliant and I think in a in a tight game he still struck the post at a header that was deflected over in the second half and obviously called as a cucumber to stick that penalty away. Lovely strong side foot. You'd probably say the goalkeeper would have struggled even going the right way. So he is a player banging form is going to be important in the uh, the second leg. All right, social poll from from William Hill today uh, on secondment. Uh, give us the odds for League Two. Um, nothing to separate Coventry and Lincoln. Um, they're both uh, five to two, and then Exeter thirteen to five, and Notts County eleven to four. All right, that is the review of the playoff um, first legs. Second legs every weekday this week. Lots and lots of brilliant football coming up, and then we're off to the final. And on Tuesday, the 22nd of May, um, we will be recording three different shows. We're basically going to treat these playoffs as if we're the BBC, it's the FA Cup, and it's the 1980s. 
which point all of my pop culture references will actually make sense. Um, we're going to have full previews for every single playoff final, so be here next week. Find it in, you know, the usual place where you get your podcast, and we'll release all three of them next week. Then after the finals, on Tuesday the 29th, it'll be our last show of the season as we look back on those playoff finals. Um, so keep it here for that. Thank you so much, Sam Parkin. Cheers, Ian. Thank you so much, Matt Stanger. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Social Paul. Thank you. And producer Tayo. And we will see you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.